You're listening to Mindful Mention Monday, a subset of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Mindful Mentions is meant to showcase something or someone that is top of mind for me at the moment. And today I want to talk about someone who I really need to get back in touch with, and that is Bruce Cryer. Bruce and I met through LinkedIn, and we've had several lovely conversations. So let me tell you a little bit about Bruce. Bruce is currently the president at the Gratitude Institute, an adjunct professor at Stanford University, and the past CEO of HeartMath. Bruce is truly a jack-of-all-trades and is called a renaissance human because not only is he all the things that I just mentioned, but he's also an author, musician, songwriter, and past Broadway performer playing a role in the longest-running Broadway musical, The Fantastics. If you'd like to learn more about Bruce, I have placed some of his information in the show notes. Today, we're going to be talking about his book entitled From Chaos to Coherence, which he co-authored with the founder of HeartMath, Doc Childre. This book is riddled with loads of practical information, data, and stories that relates to energy management, emotional intelligence, compassion, and the importance of coherence, which is a key focus at the HeartMath Institute. A little over a year ago now, I interviewed Bruce about his book. Sadly, I must confess, due to my inexperience with interviews at the time and my personal insecurity, I failed to air this one. It was my very first interview ever, but it's really not fair to Bruce to allow my lack of confidence to stifle his message and the time that he committed to that interview. So for the first time ever, I'm going to share with you some key points that he made in our conversation that day. And I think you'll gain a lot of insight from it. And I highly encourage you to check out his book, From Chaos to Coherence, which you can find on Amazon. So as not to confuse you, if you're listening to this podcast instead of viewing it on YouTube, I will place a very subtle sound between the clips so that you know that we're watching a different portion of the interview and that it transitioned. So here we go. Um, But what I want to focus on specifically today by the way, I want to show you how many tabs I have in this book. Like, it's insane. Uh, So when I was trying to come up with questions for this book, it was extremely difficult because it's so multifaceted. There's so many directions that you could take this. But together, I feel like it all was talking about having that compassion and understanding for one another um, coming from a place of the heart versus just all logic, but there's logic tied into that. And I think that's what heart math is about. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to co-author this book with doc? Well, actually the inspiration was a publisher approached us about writing a book on the kind of business approach to heart math. And they wanted me to write that because at the time I was the head of the corporate group for HeartMath, meaning I was the one with the team. There was a team of us who were doing consulting and and training into major companies around HeartMath. And that included huge companies like Shell, Unilever, Motorola, 
um, NASA, World Bank. Um, and so I was getting to be fairly known within the heart math context as, oh, he's, he's kind of the corporate guy. He's the one that's doing a lot of the translation of the heart math tools and scientific research into language that executives and managers and factory workers and white collar workers and anybody can relate to and apply to their business life as well as to their personal life. So the publisher, uh, Butterworth Hyman, the original publisher is one is who approached us. And uh, I loved the idea because we had built a, a whole model, which is what the book talks about, which we called inner quality management, inner quality management. Uh, at the time in the 90s, um, something very prevalent in the business world called TQM, which was total quality management. But the, the wise ones of, the, of that time were saying, what about the people? It, it, everything about total quality management or any corporate initiative is fundamentally brought in because of the people and by the people. Just like you were saying, Brittany, a minute ago, in so many cases, the implementation of things like emotional intelligence become an HR strategy mm-hmm. as opposed to a real understanding of the, the, the sensitive issues of, of humans, of why some are super good at, at certain emotional intelligence skills and others are super not good. So there's sensitivities there. There's subtleties. There's nuance. There's human interaction dynamics that are not just about processes and workflows and all that kind of stuff. It can be messy. <laughs> it can be super messy. Yeah. Kind of ought to be if, if, if you're being human. So inner quality management was our sort of answer to that and saying, if you want to do the total quality stuff, we can facilitate that because we're, we've got a focus on the inner quality of the individual. Following that, um, you went on to discuss the three brains. So not just our brain, but the heart as a second brain and the gut as a third brain. Could you explain how understanding how all three of these work together uh, impacts effectiveness and sustainability? Yeah, great question. Let me back up a little bit. One of the things that I've always loved about um, explaining the science of heart math are some of the analogies that we kind of came to. And one now will address this issue. So back about 30, 40 years ago, computing, nothing like it is now, right? There were mainframes. The era that I'm going back to is when the computer was a mainframe. That was the brain of the computing. And then on the desk of the worker, even the executive, was a terminal that didn't really do anything other than show you what you had access to off the mainframe. So basically the model of computing was giant computer, giant brain somewhere in the basement and dumb terminals that could just reflect certain strands of information that it had accessible. Back in those days, our model of human intelligence was big brain, big computer in the skull, all the other organs, dumb, basically slaves to the big computer upstairs. I don't know which came first, which, which realization came first, but it was quite fascinating to watch the parallels. So as computing started to become more decentralized, it was no longer about just a big box. And along that same time, research happened, like around the discovery of the neural network in the, in the heart, that when they looked deeper enough at this, which was the early 90s, they said, this has all the functional, this neural network in the heart has all the functional characteristics of an actual brain. So we have to consider it a brain, like it's processing information, it's intelligent. The heart's not just a dumb pump being told what to do by the brain. 
it's intelligent. It's sharing information with the brain. The brain's able to make decisions based on information, intelligence coming from the heart. And likewise in the gut, what's called the enteric brain or gut brain, massive neural network, hundreds of millions of neurons, processing information out the wazoo and in constant communication with the brain upstairs. So, and so this idea of trusting your gut you know, is not esoteric. It's like there's a neural network that is processing information down there, feeding information north through the brain. So gradually we start to, wait, wait a minute, it's not just big, smart terminal up here, or mainframe up here, and everything else dumb, just responding to commands, like, just tell, tell me what to do. And now the model of human intelligence is that there's intelligence everywhere. And, and what's going to be the next iteration where it's not even in that form factor anymore. Right. And so I think part of what Hartmuth kept came in to say was that it's no accident that every civilization of the world for thousands of years revered the heart as a source of intuition, of courage, of wisdom, of insight. We can't deny the, the power of the heart beyond its value as a pump, it, that it is in, indeed a source of intelligence and wisdom and guidance. And so HeartMath as an organization set out to prove that through mainstream science methods, but also to create a, a system of techniques and technology and through books like From Chaos to Coherence, stories to help people realize, wow, when you practice things to, quote, awaken your heart or enable you to listen to your heart, you get smarter. You get ideas. You get creative ideas. You remember things because the heart is intelligent. It's not just a pump. And it's, and it's not just weak, that's for sure. Intelligence is everywhere. So it's more about how to make, align the systems in our body, how to bring them into coherence. So it's not the brain doing one thing and the heart saying something totally different and the gut and a whole other area, which leads to stress, leads to frustration, leads to bad decisions, leads to unhappiness, leads to lack of fulfillment, right? So alignment of these systems is what heart math is about, what a lot of spiritual philosophies, and ultimately what emotional intelligence is about. Get ourselves aligned. We're not wasting energy and we're not um, doing things that are going to cause more stress and more strain for us and the others that we, that we interact with or work with. Can you talk a little bit more about frequencies and the association and just the research mm -hmm. backing that from HeartMath? Well, the, the word frequency is a science word, of course. It's a physics word. And we use it in that context, actually. So, you know, I think some people in the spiritual world use it less scientifically. And so then it just kind of loses some credibility. But fundamentally, the electromagnetic spectrum, which is what exists within, everything we can hear exists within the electromagnetic spectrum. It's where all the, all the light exists, the, frequency, the frequencies of light, the frequencies of sound. Yep. The electromagnetic spectrum is a range of, fre of frequencies. That's the physics term for it. So <clears throat> human consciousness, human physiology, exists within certain band ranges of this electromagnetic spectrum, which all civilization operates within. So gravity is in one end of it. <laughs> Ultraviolet light, which we can't see, is in another portion of it. Uh, sound that we can hear is in one range of it. But then there's other sounds that our faculties can't hear, that dogs can hear. Right, so they're frequencies that a dog can hear and pick up on that we can't hear. Just like certain, we can see certain things, but you can't see X-rays. You, your eyes cannot look right. inside a body and see see that. But equipment can do that, but because they're they're picking up on a different segment 
of that electromagnetic spectrum. So all this is to say that all life lives within, exists within this electromagnetic spectrum. And it also means that anything living and anything electrical creates a field. So a human system is electrical, is in part electrical, and that's not the new age concept. That is a biological term. The electrocardiogram, which is the measure of the heartbeat, the electrical output of the heart, is electrical. So every time the heart beats, it contracts, sends blood, pushes it out into the system. But at the time of the contraction is an electrical impulse that's being sent out, which is why, um, and that, so the heart's beating all at the same time. So there's a beat of the heart, a contraction, and this electrical signal all being produced. And the electrical signal with any living thing and, and even non-living things like electrical wires in your building or tr electrical transformers, radio towers, whatever, anything that's electrical, by definition, a field is created around that electrical energy. You can measure electrical field around a plant, around a human being, around an animal, anything alive, because if there's an electrical signal in it, by definition, it's creating a field. The field can vary depending upon how strong the signal is, how coherent the signal is. So there's a lot of ways it varies, but everything electrical in the known universe creates a field around it. So, um, and it's, it's a topic that can, is a deep one. And, um, but I think to, to kind of bring it back to practicality, part of what was exciting about what we came up with at HeartMath in the early 90s was that we were able to draw a link between what's happening electrically in the body and emotional states. We were able to show that how the heart is beating the patterns of how the heart beats. And let me just say, there's a field within cardiology known as heart rate variability. And it's the study of the fact that every time the heart is beating, all day long, all night long, the speed is always changing. The speed of our heart is increasing for a while and decreasing for a while. It's speeding up for a while and slowing down for a while. It's always doing that. What we discovered in the early 90s was when we would measure people experiencing different emotional states, the patterns were totally different. So for example, anytime somebody was stressed out and therefore they were angry and that made them stressful, they were frustrated or they were impatient or they were depressed or overwhelmed, any of the emotions we would think of as stressful, the pattern of the heart was chaotic. It's like it's all over the place, kind of like an earthquake. And then we discovered if you asked anyone to just think about things that they appreciated in their life, a beautiful day, their pet, their grandmother, their um, co-workers that are so wonderful, where they live, you know, whatever, it is, whatever it may be. Any appreciation, any joy, any compassion, any peace, any love that someone would feel would put the heart into a completely different pattern. It's like a, it was like a beautiful waveform, this beautiful, like in physics, it, scientists would look at the wave produced by someone feeling love and they'd say, that's a coherent waveform. Wow, that's really different. Then when you're frustrated, it's an incoherent waveform, the language of physics again. So we came in and said, this is interesting. This is really interesting. It makes sense. And back to your point about the, the, the bad vibes, we were saying, uh, yeah, and that's an actual scientific, we can, we can say it scientifically, the frequency, the actual electromagnetic frequency does change inside a person and can be measured outside a person when their emotions are changing. So you can be around somebody who's in right. a bad mood and feel it. 
You don't, they don't even think you need to say something. You can sense it sometimes. The social norm is that a lot of us don't understand our emotions. We've never really been taught to think about our emotions and how we impact others. We're a very egocentric society, I feel like, for the most part. One thing I was reading in your book was talking about growing up on the Hudson River and how the fish in the Hudson, all they knew was that polluted water. That's all they knew. They had no taste of clean water. And I think about that when I think about our society and the lack of awareness and coherence that we have. And you talked about maladaptation. So I kind of wanted you to talk a little bit more about the impacts that has on our behavior and our mindset in our current. Well, first of all, it's fun, very fun to me, the oddity that when I wrote that, I never in a million years imagined I would live on the Hudson River ever, let alone that I would be now, and that's where I am. I can see the Hudson River from my window right now. And when I came up with that analogy, it was, it was the reality that back, back when I was a kid growing up in New Jersey, not too far from the Hudson River, you'd hear tales of these poor fish <laughs> that you know, were all missing fins and had cancers and because the, the water was not clean. You know, there's oil and all kinds of stuff being dumped in and toxic chemicals all the time. It's not a happy place. This was not just the Hudson River. In, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, tons of rivers were toxic messes. And yet fish and other creatures were still alive in there but hanging on by a thread. And so my little fantasy was like, imagine that one of these fish won a dream vacation and was being was all expenses paid to Lake Tahoe. And they go down to Lake Tahoe and they're dropped in the Lake Tahoe and like, what is this? This isn't water. Water has all this other stuff in it too, like wood and nails and and junk and plastic and that's water. And they're swimming around this stuff. What is this? This feels so strange. What is this? And after a while it's like, uh, kind of like it here, actually. It feels really good. But the, the analogy, of course, being that we many, many of us grow up in environments that were somewhat trauma, traumatic, maybe uh, abusive, perhaps, at least stressful, many of us. There's a lot of stress, and that's what we knew. So we developed a physiology of stress. We developed the defense mechanisms of being consciously kind of on edge, looking out for, am I under threat now? Am I going to have to fight right now? Am I have to flee right now? Because many people, and I'm not just talking about people in refugee situations that seem extreme, many people that I've talked to were, you know, they, they seem incredibly well-adjusted, warm-hearted people now. And, and to hear what, what went on in their childhood is like, oh my God, how did you come out like this now? Well, it took a lot of work. So they had, they had adapted as children because that was the only option. But then to kind of unadapt as they had where stress and, or abuse or trauma felt normal to start to build the circuitry when that doesn't feel normal. And what does start to feel normal is care and connection and support and harmony and two people like, like Brittany, I'm, I'm literally pointing at you right now and kind of also delighted at how we even know each other. I mean, it was a, a LinkedIn connection. I don't even remember yeah. you initiated, I initiated, whatever it was, doesn't matter. We connected kind of randomly in a way. I think it was emotional intelligence was the link somehow, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. And here we are now. We had a number of conversations. Wonderful. I, I thoroughly enjoy you. And you know, I think how marvelous it is that we have this way, and we've never met in person, that we can connect and heart to heart connect, not just talking knowledge or talking in, in business, whatever. So um, 
we have to build that circuitry and appreciate that when we have relationships that give us meaning, that's where we want to go. I want more of that. I want right. more of people that want to give to me and I want to give to them because that makes me richer and then I, I can help them be richer. And it's just this virtuous cycle that keeps, keeps us growing and expanding and, and feeling more fulfilled. So ultimately that's what it's about. And then growing up in the Hudson river, I mean, happy ending to the story. The Hudson river is way healthier river now than it was back then, because a lot of people woke up to the fact that, man, this is, I wouldn't want to be a fish in this thing. I don't want to be a human in this thing. I don't want to go in this river. So uh, it's a fun analogy to just realize we got a, a lot of things we have to wake up. We've gotten used to. I think this is especially yes. relevant when we think about certain people in certain situations where we continue to react in justified ways to people. We're living in the physiology of stress, as Dr. Joe Dispenza likes to call it. Yes. And and we, or we, or the limitation is around ourself that we're convinced we will never have the success that someone else in our family is enjoying or somebody else that was a friend in, in school. And we're just convinced. And so we, the physiology is reinforcing that we're going to, we're not going to expand out of that. And so back to the electromagnetics, the signal, if you will, that we're putting out to the world is one of fear or of limitation or of self doubt or of scarcity. Yeah. That's the energy that's going out. If some people say, what do you mean it's going out? Well, the people that you interact with pick up on it on some level. Your, your clients, your customers, your peers, your colleagues, they can kind of sense, oh, he's, having a, he's having a rough time. He's, he, seems, he seems a bit desperate. He seems a bit insecure. They might not say the, the signal he's putting out is that they would just say, and there's something that doesn't quite feel right. Well, that's right. the energy you're putting out is what doesn't quite feel right. So I really appreciate your time today seriously yeah. like this is i've read a lot of books and this is probably one of my favorites incorporating um compassion into the workplace and there's just so much data backing this so i think anybody who um needs that that hard data would love this book too because it's it's just everything it's logic it's hard it's i mean it's heart math <laughs> So I have recommended this to a lot of leaders, um, but I wanted to do this interview just to discuss it a little bit more because I would like to get this back into circulation for you. Mm. I know you can find it on Amazon. You sent me the PDF version, but I got the, the hard copy because yeah. obviously I like to, yeah. to tab it. Uh, so thank you so much, Bruce. And it is a pleasure knowing you. I'm so happy that we stumbled upon each other on LinkedIn and I look forward to our future connection and relationship. So absolutely. Well, it's, it's a, a joy for me that this, this book, thanks to you is having a little, a little Renaissance of its own. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed the writing of it and the revising the couple of times we, we did a CD ROM at the time also that was all these cool video stuff. It's all outdated technology now, but there was a lot of life to it. And then my life shifted as you know, and, and, uh, I hadn't put so much time into it. And yet more and more lately, and especially your response, people have been like curious about it and wanting to read it and like really like, wow, this is really cool. This is yeah. feel, not, doesn't feel old because it's, it, it's a phenomenal book. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it very much. Yeah. So that is all for today. I hope you found value in today's very unique episode format. Tomorrow is Tuesday's Q and a with Brittany Nicole, and I hope you'll join me. But until then, 
live and lead with an open heart and open mind. Thanks for listening. <music>